Welcome to the Fraudian Slip, the Identity Theft Resource Center's podcast where we talk about all things identity compromise, crime, and fraud that impact people and businesses. I'm the communications leader for the ITRC, Tim Walden. Now, normally on this podcast, we would introduce a topic, a guest expert, and our CEO, Eva Velasquez. This month, though, we're doing something a little different. This week, the ITRC published our Consumer Impact Report based on information gathered from victims of identity crimes and how those events have affected them financially, but more importantly, non-financially. Eva presented the findings via webinar earlier this week, which we'll replay for you now as this week's podcast. All right, I want to get this thing started promptly on time. It is now two o'clock. I want to say thank you all to everyone who has joined us so far. Hello, hello, and thank you for joining our 2023 Consumer Impact Report pre-release webinar. This report, <clears throat> excuse me, so sorry, this report is a part of a collaborative effort between Experian and the Identity Theft Resource Center. Our speaker today is the ITRC's very own president and CEO, Eva Velasquez. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you all know that we will not have time to take live questions. However, if you do have some questions as you listen in today or you discover that you or someone you know needs assistance with an identity crime or issue, we encourage you to reach out to us directly at ITRC at IDTheftCenter.com. That's ITRC at IDTheftCenter.com. Um, I'm sorry, I'm saying .com and it's .org. It's .org. <laughs> you know what? I actually have the address on the last slide, so we've got you guys covered. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and with that, thank you so much, Eva. That's all I've got. Um, thank you all so much for listening. And I will turn it right on over to Eva Velasquez. All right. Thanks very much, Tim. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Welcome to our discussion of the 2023 Consumer Impact Report. Um, I really appreciate your taking the time and your interest in learning more about the true impact of identity crimes. And just a quick refresher on who we are. Uh, ITRC is a 501c3 nonprofit, and our mission is to empower and guide all stakeholders to minimize the risk and mitigate the impact of identity compromise and crime. We've been doing this since 1999, so we're coming up on our 25-year anniversary, and one of the ways that we meet this mission is by conducting and disseminating research in the identity crime field. This publication is available to the public at no cost. And in fact, all of our services are free and available to the public at no cost, including our toll-free contacts on center. We're funded by grants from the Department of Justice, Office of Victims of Crime, corporate donations and sponsorships. And on that note, I'd like to thank Experian for their support, not only of this year's report, but just of our mission and uh, really appreciate their service, long-term service on the ITRC board of directors. So big shout out and thank you to my friends at Experian. Let's start with some background on the consumer impact report and the methodology. We've been publishing this report for 20 years. Now the name has changed over the years. Uh, at first it was the identity theft, the aftermath report, then victim aftermath report. And it's been the Consumer Impact Report for a couple of years. But while the name has changed and, and it's evolved, the intent behind this report has been the same for the, the entire two decades. And that's to delve deep into the true harms of identity crime victimization. Now, there are a few other reports. I won't name them. 
that are published annually that look at the, the cost of victimization, things like how much time did you spend and how much money did you lose? And uh, we certainly ask those questions. Those are important. But we are looking very holistically at the total impacts of this crime. We look at the emotional and the physical impacts and even the behavioral changes post-event. We, we really try to uncover the real life impacts, the day-to-day -day life impacts that, that this crime has and that it creates for victims. Now, as to the methodology, this year we surveyed victims that contacted us in the previous year. And once again, we surveyed a general population, general consumers as well. So we could um, look at the two populations side by side. The big difference in these two populations is with the, with the gen pop, they can have a, a much uh, broader variety to the complexity level of their cases than we see in the ITRC population. Um, with the gen pop, there are going to be a number of people who were able to resolve their case on their own, maybe with the help of a, a single entity, a single organization, but that's not the case for the people who are reaching out and contacting us in our contact center. We're talking to the people in general who have complex cases, so there might be multiple um, issues going on at once, multiple facets to the issue, or, or these are folks where the normal processes have demonstrably failed them. So for whatever reason, they have attempted to use established processes to recover and, and uh, remediate their case, and there's some kind of roadblock. Now, I'm going to cover a handful of highlights in the report, but I really do encourage you to read the full report since I won't be able to get to every single thing in there during the limited time we have here. Before I dive in uh, to the few highlights and key findings, I do want to set the stage a little bit, just kind of remind everybody that we're going to be reviewing quite a bit of data. And while we're looking at this, let's just keep in the back of our minds that these are more than just data points. These are real people who are telling us their real stories and their lived experience. All right, first key finding, more repeat victims than new ones. Repeat identity crime victims outnumbered first-time victims this year. 41% of ITRC victims and 69 of the general consumers reported being victimized more than once. We've been watching this trend and talking about re-victimization rates for a couple of years now. And we've really considered why we keep seeing this increasing re-victimization rate. And of course, there isn't just one reason. There's a number of factors that go into this. It's things like just the sheer volume of online transactions that we conduct daily, um, more and more digital-only transactions, um, the increasing sophistication of a lot of these attacks. Uh, there's such a wide range of inexpensive tools available to the identity criminals. And then, of course, speaking of availability, the sheer volume of identity credentials and personal data that's out there in the wild or available for purchase, and that's largely due to data breaches. So a landscape like this makes it really challenging for any person to fend off all types of threats. And 
just because of all the different types of scams and fraud and identity misuse types. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. A, a previous victim, maybe of a, of a romance scam or a relationship scam, has gone through the recovery process, and now they're very wary of that type of scam. They're very wary of building relationships online, and, and they see the red flags if anybody asks them for, for money. But if they then get some kind of incoming communication that's, let's say it's a government scam, uh, someone pretending to be from the IRS or the Department of Homeland Services, which we're seeing a lot of, they won't necessarily be out on the on the lookout for that. Most of us listening here, we kind of understand the big picture when it comes to scams, fraud, and identity crimes. And, and so we see it as the same, but your average person that's just out there living their life, they don't. So that's, that's just not how most people live their lives. The next key finding has been on the, the time to resolve. Nearly half of consumer victims resolve the issue within a week, but most ITRC victims their cases still are unresolved after months and months. This just confirms what I was saying before about the complexity of the case. Complex cases take longer to resolve. So the, so the, the life impacts are going to be greater. And the fact that it takes much longer to resolve a complex case in general, it's likely that's what's feeding the increased adverse emotional impacts for the ITRC population. And I'll show you what I mean here. We'll, when we look at the emotional impact side by side, you'll see the difference in the two populations. But the emotional impacts are quite severe. And I want to start with the most startling one, and that's thoughts of suicide. We are witness to the doubling of suicidal thoughts by this victim population in the span of just two years. We've asked this same question for 20 years, and it's always hovered around two to 4%. And when I saw it rise in 2020, I, I thought this was due to the pandemic, all of these other external events. So that sort of piling on effect. I'm, we all experience this, this collective disruption of our lives. So that of course was a factor. Then we see it increase again in 2021, and I continued to think, yes, it's this piling on effect, but now it's at 16%. This is unheard of. I've never seen numbers like this before, and it's much greater than the national average for non-homeless U.S. residents contemplating suicide or having suicidal thoughts. That hovers around 5%. And even with a recent report that was released uh, from the CDC, and it stated that the number of deaths linked to suicide in the U.S. grew by um, approximately 3% in 2022, we're still looking at a significant difference, a significant increase in suicidal thoughts for this population, this crime victim type versus the U.S. general population. And if I could only share one data point on this issue, it would be this one, because just this statistic alone demonstrates how big of an impact this crime type has. But suicidal thoughts, they're not the only severe emotional impacts. There are other ones that we ask about. 
um, worried or anxious, 87% of ITRC victims and 47% of general consumers. Vulnerable, 71% of ITRC victims and 43% of the general consumers. And then violated, 77% of the ITRC victims and 43% of the general population. And when I look at these responses, it doesn't surprise me that more than half of the consumer victims we surveyed let us know that they sought emotional support when they were victimized. And, and as we look further down this list, we have 45% of ITRC victim, victims feeling guilty, guilt that they caused this to happen or did something wrong. More than half of ITRC victims, 52% felt shame or embarrassment, along with 23% of general consumers. And when I see those numbers, I can't help but feel that this is a symptom of how we talk to and about victims. When people in this space and just, uh, just general everyday folks see or hear about these cases, there's a lot of judgment that occurs. But that's from the outside looking in, where it's much easier for us to see the red flags if there were any. Uh, the, and that judgment, I think, does a couple of things. One, it feeds the shame and the guilt, but it also creates a false sense of security for the person doing the judging. There's a lot of self-delusion going on right now about being vulnerable to these crimes. But the fact is that under the right set of circumstances, everyone is vulnerable. I mean, everyone, I am including myself in this. I'm, I'm including all of you listening right now. Vigilance helps, of course, it definitely reduces your, your risk rate. But again, there are no guarantees, no matter how savvy you are. And it's not just the individual that's impacted. You know, we don't live in a vacuum. We have people in our lives that we're connected to, families, neighbors, uh, faith-based communities, coworkers, and so it's going to affect them too. Two-thirds of both populations reported that their victimization had an impact on their relationships. Uh, lost time at work, 27% uh, of general consumers and 34% of ITRC victims. I mean, that's not just the individual being impacted. Coworkers are going to be impacted. You lose time away from work. It's your coworkers that are, that are picking up the slack when you're gone. And then time away from family. 43% um, of general consumers and 37% of ITRC victims. Your family misses you when you're gone um, and when you're not available or even mentally present. And I'm sure there are things that fall through the cracks when you're hyper-focused on something as traumatic as victimization. And then lost opportunity, lost employment opportunity. 21% um, of general consumers and 31% of ITRC victims. That's a huge deal. That's your livelihood. And when those opportunities are lost, when someone experiences that loss, they don't know when or if that opportunity is ever going to present itself again. Talk about having something ongoing in perpetuity that's hanging over your head, that what if. And it doesn't stop at just the emotional. Uh, our bodies 
uh, feel it too. And uh, it's uh, somatic symptoms. It's the, the physical representation of emotional distress. And that's what we see going on here. Panic and anxiety attacks, 21% of general consumers, 51%, so more than half of ITRC victims. And I always look at the sleep problems, 47% uh, of general consumers and 67% of ITRC victims. And I think about the vicious cycle that starts there. If you're not sleeping at all or sleeping well, you are then far less equipped to deal with life in general, but then to deal with uh, something as challenging as the identity recovery process. And as you don't get it addressed or you're not able to take the steps that are required, uh, it drags on longer, you continue to lose sleep, and then that cycle just keeps going. So the effect on the body is absolutely real. Now, identity crimes lead to multiple impacts. This is an example of the multiple impacts in just a single quote, a single incident. This is from an actual victim. And I we chose this one because I think it demonstrates the totality of the experience. It has devastated my family. I have zero funds to even meet a friend for coffee or a drink. Therefore, I remain totally isolated and mentally not good due to the feeling the scammers took my life. I buy minimal food, so I go without good nutrition. I've been unable to find employment since I have zero money to buy the appropriate clothes needed. Talk about a domino effect. Now, there are additional quotes that we have from victims in the full report, and, and you will get a sense of hearing it in their own words. I mean, I know sometimes when we look at the data and we look at the responses, that, that gives us some insight, but when you hear people actually describe it in their own words, it really brings it home what an impact this crime has. Now, I know I said that we don't just ask about the financial losses, but we certainly ask that question. And the majority of both populations lost between $500 and $10,000. ITRC victims reported higher losses than the general population. And when you're looking at these numbers, I do want you to keep in mind that financial losses are relative to income. And while you may look at those losses under $500 and think, well, that's not a big deal. Let's let's just remember that for some people, it, it is a huge event. For some folks, it, it may just sting and they can recover from that relatively quickly in a month, in a couple of months. But for others, it could have a, a completely destabilizing effect. If that's the difference between paying rent, making a car payment, keeping the lights on, there can definitely be that, that domino effect again. And I also want to note that for those losses over 10000 some of those ITRC victims reported losses in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that was particularly stemming from long-term relationship or romance scams that had an investment component to them. We'd see these go on for a long period of time um, where the, the scammer, the threat actor was asking for a lot of money continuously over a period of time. And we also ask people you now if they had a financial loss, 
how did they deal with those losses? And close to two thirds of both populations reported that they had trouble covering the cost of a need, not a want, a need. I, I won't read off all of the options here, but two of them, borrowing money from family or friends as 28% uh, of general consumers and 30% of ITRC victims did, or seeking government assistance as 19% of general consumers and 23% of ITRC victims did, those options affect more than just the individual. Uh, you can see the theme I'm talking about how, here, how this is not just a crime that sits with one person. It has these tentacles that reach out into families, communities, frankly, into the country. When you consider the borrowing money for, from family or friends, well, those are dollars that those people who loan the money aren't putting into the local economy, aren't investing in themselves. And when it comes to seeking government assistance, well, that's something that impacts all of us. So there's that domino effect again. We also asked about data breaches. And look, it's no surprise, data breaches data breaches increase the risk of an identity crime. I know that's not news to anyone, but the when we look at the number of notifications that people have received, 48% of ITRC victims and 29% of general consumers actually received more than one notice in the past year. And while it's impossible, impossible to attribute a, a particular identity crime to any particular breach, we can certainly see the correlation here. We can tie victimization to these data compromises where all of our information, our identity credentials, and all of this other data is out there in the wild for the identity thieves and scammers to use. We also looked at cyber habits. And despite the fact that freezing your credit is one of the most impactful risk mitigation steps you can take, especially for financial identity fraud. Um, and despite the fact that there's no cost to do it, people are just not adopting this habit. Um, we talk to folks regularly in the contact center that they don't, they don't know what credit reports are, much less how to freeze them. They don't really understand what the bureaus are. So we have a lot of work to do with basic financial literacy education. And I think until we move that needle and build that foundation, it's going to be very challenging to increase the adoption rate of credit freezes, This increase this option. Um, I also think in talking with a lot of uh, very smart folks and busy folks that they just put it off. They know what it is. They understand it would be good for them but it's low on the priority list and they're not, they're just not doing it. We looked at password hygiene. Um, and again, despite all the education on this topic, we still don't even have half of the public adopting best practices in the, uh, for password habits. Um, so many people just have too many accounts to memorize those strong, unique individual passwords. So they give up and they, they don't do it. Here's a future prediction. Um, I think that the work that's being done to move us away from passwords is likely going to be more impactful than consumer education at this point. That's a bold statement for 
a consumer advocate and someone who's made consumer education a huge part of her life for decades. And I still think consumer education is powerful and has a place. But when it comes to passwords, I, I just feel like the people have spoken on this one. And I'm not sure that we're going to see these numbers move much in the future either. Now, of those, the three cyber habits that we're highlighting, uh, MFA is by far the most widely adopted. And I think this is a, uh, a moment where we can learn something. We have to ask why. Is it the ease of use? Is it the familiarity of it? Is it the fact that in certain situations it's mandatory? So people were sort of forced to use it and understand it. And then as they did, it became familiar and comfortable and, and they, oh, I know how to use that. I'll, I'll turn on those options. I just think this is a really good opportunity for us to collectively ask questions like these so that we can use some of those lessons learned to improve education and adoption rates in other areas. Now, again, we just went over the highlights and there is plenty more in the full report um, we have a few, just a few other reports coming out over the next couple of months, and it's it's going to be a busy Q4. So keep an eye out for those. We have our identity uh, crimes and black communities coming out in September. That's where we did a very deep dive um, surveys and focus groups in black communities, asking them how they use, maintain, protect, and recover their identities. Um, we will have the biometric working group recommendations. These are some best practices in the biometric identity proofing and authentication space. So keep an eye out for those. And then of course, our business impact report also coming out in October. And it's our companion report to the consumer impact where we look at how identity crimes impact small and large businesses alike. And again, among others, we always have something coming out. Now, before you log off, please don't go yet. I do have some thoughts that I want to leave you with. But first, here's that link where you can find this report and all of our publications on the ITRC website. And um, if you do have any questions, you can email us at communications at idstheftcenter.org. It's a great way to get in touch with us. And now I do want to leave you with this message. No matter who you are, you have a role or what your role is in this space, there is something that you can do about this, this issue. And for victims, I want them to hear me say this. And I hope that you share this message if and when you interact with them. Please don't think you're in this alone. There is help. There is no cost help available to you. Please don't be ashamed or embarrassed to seek it out. You were lied to and you believe that lie. That's just, that's called just being human. You know, for leaders and decision makers, please prioritize recovery services for this crime victim population and prioritize holistic services, including mental health services like counseling, individual counseling, and peer support. And for everybody else, let's make an effort to change the way we talk to and about victims. Let's just remove from the lexicon. Let's stop saying duped and fell for. No, they were lied to and they believe that lie. Words matter. 
how we communicate uh, to, to the people who are impacted, but amongst ourselves, that matters. So please join me in helping to remove that stigma and that shame. So, okay, now you can log off. Thank you everybody for joining us today and we'll see you again next time. Thank you so much, everyone. You can download a copy of the ITRC's 2023 Consumer Impact Report at our website, idtheftcenter.org publications. If you want to know more about how to protect your business or personal information, or if you think you've been the victim of an identity crime, you can speak with our expert ITRC advisor on the phone, chat live on the web, or exchange emails during our regular business hours. Just visit idtheftcenter.org to get started. We'll return next week with another edition of the Weekly Breach Breakdown. I'm Tim Walden. Thanks for listening.